Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Today, what we are talking about is listening. We are closing our series, He Would Love First, and we are going to be talking about listening as kind of one of the ultimate acts of humility and selfless love that we can offer other people in our world. And so there's two ways this is going to be unpacked today. First, we're going to talk about what does it mean to listen to God, to be a better listener, um, and why that matters. And two, how do we listen better to those around us, and how is that sacrificial love as well? What you're going to find is that everyone is trying to sell you love. Uh, I don't know who's planning on watching uh, the sports ball game this afternoon. There's sports ball. I don't know if you know this is happening. Super Bowl is coming. And uh, people paid $7 million for 30-second advertisements, and what they're going to sell you is love. And it doesn't really work like that. But I'd like to ruin your Super Bowl experience by inviting you to watch the commercials and see how many are actually just sort of subconsciously selling you love, and then reject them, and then tell me about it later. But cheeseburgers, used cars, soft drinks, they can't be sold by love. But you uh, can... You can become better at loving. You cannot buy love, but you can become a better lover. My, my alternate title for today's sermon was actually uh, Becoming a Better Lover, and I was like going to do a bait and switch, and you'd get in here, and then I'd be like, now we're going to talk about listening, and then you'd be all disappointed because you would have told your friends that we're going to talk about something salacious, but we didn't do any of that. So it doesn't matter. I shouldn't even have told you. But we're going to talk about becoming a better lover of God and a better lover of people through listening. If you want to apply this to romance, you are welcome to do that. I don't know if... Uh, you were listening a minute ago, maybe not, maybe we should work on listening. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and here's my challenge. Uh, if you would like to tell your Valentine, and I want you to tell me how this goes when you do this, by the way. No chocolates, no flowers, none of that. Just say, this year for Valentine's, I'm working on becoming a better listener for you. That's it. Okay, tell me how that goes. Um, I will still be buying all the things. We need to get better as a people at listening. This doesn't sound like it's worth 30 minutes of our time to sit and listen about listening. What, come on, where's the like, give me the thing, the, where's the thing, where's the secret magic silver bullet that tells me how to make faith every, I think, I think you'll see when we're done. We're terrible listeners. Our culture says listen to your heart, listen to your inner voice, listen to your truth, listen to your gut, which all just means listen to yourself. I don't know if you can read between those lines. All of those just mean listen to yourself. Don't listen to somebody else, listen to you. Social media is a dumpster fire. Maybe it's good for something. There's utility. I get it. I can see my grandkids, whatever. Um, If you zoom out from social media, it is the equivalent of a thousand people with megaphones in a circle shouting at each other. That's what it is. It looks like your television looks. Have you ever watched television? This is what television looks like these days. Sports, politics, doesn't matter. It's people in rectangles shouting at each other. And this is all social media is. It's just personal. Instead of experts, it's just you. And this is what our life looks like. It's people in rectangles shouting at each other. This is how we operate in personal conversation, too. One of my favorite New Yorker cartoons I've ever seen is this one right here. We'll put it up on the screen. I'll read it because it's tiny print. The man says, behold, as I guide our conversation to my narrow area of expertise. That's funny is what that is. The only reason we listen to other people is to steer the conversation back to self. Everyone is talking, no one is listening, 
And if you'd like to know how that's going, I would invite you to go and find the highlight reel of the last couple years of our world. Not great. Kate Murphy, in her great book, You're Not Listening, says this, we are engaged in a dialogue of the deaf. No one should be surprised. This is how we raise people in our world. I don't know if you have looked around high school. You know what you have in high school? You have debate club, where what do you do? You argue with each other. You get better at arguing with each other, too. And, you know, I took speech class where you learn how to talk better. And um, there's no listening class, is there? Do you have a listening class? No, there's no listening class. I was a communication major for six months before I figured out I wasn't going to be that at all. But I looked through the syllabuses that were available and all the different course catalogs, and there was never a listening class. There was no listening 101 or listening 301. It was communication, which just meant becoming better at talking. As a professional person, eventually you will get asked to join Toastmasters. That's still a thing. Toastmasters perfect your public speaking and grow in your networking ability. Nothing wrong with Toastmasters, but we don't have a listening masters, just a talking masters. YouTube, podcasts, all the same. All of it is talking. A recent study said that even the prospect of actively listening creates anxiety in people. I am not joking. And we affirmed this in our first service. I asked these generations, and they said this is absolutely true. 81% of millennial and Generation Z peoples don't want to answer the phone because it's going to require listening. It creates anxiety. 81% of Generation Z and millennial people say, I, I get anxiety about answering the phone. And so 81% of millennial and Generation Z people allow the phone to go to voicemail. Yes! I will engage you when I'm ready to engage you. You first tell me what you're going to talk about, then I'll work that out, and then I'll text you instead of calling you back. You know, that's how that, that's how that works. Because it creates anxiety in us to even consider, so you're saying I just say hello and they can talk about anything? I just have to listen? Ah, we can't do it. Listening is an act of love. There's a great little picture if you want to go in your Bibles later. Look in Luke chapter 8. There's this window of Jesus. We get these pictures of Jesus' sermons. It's not often we get to kind of see the listener that Jesus was, to see the, this kind of intimate portrait of who he is. Luke chapter 8, there's two things. I'm going to just breeze over them quickly. We've got to keep moving. But there was a demon-possessed man. The whole village knew about him. He was just like a nightmare. Jesus shows up and says, what's your name? And that goes its own direction. But, but Jesus could have just cast out demons. And he said, he said, what's your name? Which is a remarkable act of humility and listening. To go, what's your name? Tell me more. Then a woman later in the chapter, a woman who uh, has the issue with the blood, according to the way we talk about it in the modern world, she touches the hem of Jesus' garment as he walks by in a crowd, a crush of people, and he feels the power go out of him. And the scripture says he hears her story. And he tells her, you were already healed. Like, your faith already healed you. But she wants to tell him her story of how she's been dealing with this for years, and he hears it. And he says, but you were already healed. But I did want to listen to you anyway. It's kind of this beautiful picture of a Jesus who has a mission, kind of a pretty important thing he's doing, and he still takes the time to sit and listen, to hear your name, to learn your story. Over and over we see this in uh, the Scripture when we, when we really pay attention. Listening, here's why this matters for us. Listening silences the chatter in our hearts. People would say that uh, it's tough to listen because there's a lot of things going around. I, got, I just I can't. There's a lot of things swirling. Anxiety is rooted sometimes in, in not knowing what the next thing is. And so we get on that treadmill. And listening is this incredible thing because when you are actively listening to someone, you cannot listen to the voice in your head. 
that's trying to warn you about the next terrible thing that could be happening. And it isn't a cure for anxiety. It's not saying that you're wrong for having anxiety. It's saying that sometimes active listening is one of the easiest ways to remove it temporarily from your life. Because when you're fully engaged and you fully engage in another, you begin to do something different, which is not think about the next thing happening in your life, but you attempt to empathize with what's happening in their life, which is to truly understand them and their feelings, their, their life, their situation. And in this way, when you fully empty yourself of your own agenda and you're fully on board with understanding someone else's, this is a beautiful and self-sacrificial behavior. James 1.19, James says it this way, Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, let's not take it out of context. He's making a larger point, which is listen to God's word, then do it. Faith without works is dead. So he's going, listen to God's word. You have to hear it first, but then do it. And so in the context of that, he goes, you have to hear. You have to listen. Don't talk. Listen, and then get after it. Faith is seen in works, but it begins with listening. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from what? Talking. No. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing through the word of Christ. So let's get practical. First, we want to love God better. Then we're going to learn how to love people better by listening. So first, love God better. Who among us hasn't said at some point in our life that God just sort of feels distant right now in this season? Or God feels like more of an idea than a person? Or I don't feel that close to God? Or I don't know what God wants me to do in my life. I have people come to my office pretty regularly that says, how do I know what God wants me to do with my life? I don't know. I mean, we can end that appointment now. I don't know. What is God telling you? What do you mean? Is always, what do you mean what is God telling me? We don't listen very well to God, do we? Two places that he speaks to us, two. These are the ways we best listen to God. First place that we listen to God, the first place he speaks to us is through his word. The Bible is held up as God's actual inspired word. Jesus is God's word in flesh. And so we can read God's word and we can read about the word of God made perfect in person in Jesus. Those two things are there. And in doing so, we can hear from God. We can hear from God by reading his word. A third of Americans... Um, report that they read their Bible once a week, which this probably counts for most people. If you're getting a survey, you go, well, we, we read it on the screen. That counts, right? A third of, third of Americans. A third of Americans never read a Bible. The number one excuse of Americans who don't read their Bible or who don't read it as much as they say they would like to read it is, I don't have enough time. There just isn't time. So I looked this up and tried to figure out if there was enough time. I learned, thanks to the internet, 12 minutes a day, you can read your whole Bible in a year. In 12 minutes a day, if you read at average pace in 12 minutes a day, whole Bible, one year. If that feels like too much, 12 minutes, I don't have that to spare. I don't know what world you live in, buddy. In six minutes a day, for six months, you can read the whole New Testament. That seems doable. We'll put an infographic on the screen that kind of gives a sense. This is what Americans report doing 30 minutes a day. 30 minutes a day, 70% of Americans say we spend at least 30 minutes a day on email. And then it goes on down through the different things. TV, I don't believe that book stat for a second. Hobbies, podcasts, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. We spend 30 minutes a day on lots of different things. And we can all find our spot. We all have one or two of those. We're like, ooh, I do spend 30 minutes a day on that one. On the far right of your screen, you'll see that it has what you can accomplish in 30 minutes a day. You can read the book of Ecclesiastes in one day. You can read the whole Bible in 160 days. So if you don't want to take a whole year and you want to put 30 minutes a day, guess what? 
160 days later, you read the whole Bible. Good job. Is the idea, and we get into these weird contests where we're like, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. And we make it like some sort of, you know, it's like the Olympics of Bible reading. The point of it is not to have read the whole Bible in a day, a year, or whatever. The point of it is to let the Bible start reading you. The point of it is to get deep enough into it that it reads you back, that you hear from God. And we get, we get kind of stuck on that. So don't hear me say everybody needs to start a Bible in a year plan and you need to stick to it and be religious and make rules out of it. No, 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 no. God wants to speak to you. God's word is active and alive. And if we're not in it, we can't hear it. So that's what the point of that was. Some people say, look, it's old though. <laughs> it's true. Like we don't, we don't say this out loud because it is, it is relevant for today. But the newest book in here is 2,000 years old. The, the newest letter we get to read is 2,000 years old. I don't know if you know this, but reading ancient literature, reading ancient history, reading ancient inspirational, reading ancient things is hard. They're from a different time, a different context, and, and a lot of us don't want to admit it, but it's hard to read the Bible in a lot of ways because it doesn't make any sense in 2022. What are they even talking about? There's an ark of some sort, and people are in the wilderness, and there's some kings, and there's just, it's just, things are happening. So, how do we get over the idea that we're trying to read a thousand or four thousand year old book? So starting each week, every Sunday evening, uh, five o'clock on your social media and midweek in your email that you get from Veronica every week, she found out about this today, um, you're going to get a, a link to a video from this little thing called the Bible Project Online. It's on YouTube, so you can watch them all in one week if you want to, but every single week we want to drip, the elders want to drip a little bit of context in your world. And what you're going to get is a six-minute video that says, here's the Old Testament. Let me give you an overview. So that you don't go, the Old Testament, this is like another language and I don't get it. You're going to go, oh. So that's why it's called that, and that's why it's working. like, oh, okay, I might read that. And then there'll be one about Genesis and one about Leviticus and one about Exodus. And then there's going to be one about Isaiah and Job and John. And it goes, 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 goes. But if you had the context, our belief is if you knew the context that you were reading into, you might be more interested in reading it. The same way that if you understood a language, if I told you the whole Bible was in Spanish and you don't know Spanish, learning Spanish might help you read the Bible. So every single week, I believe there's 73 of these videos. We are going to drip, 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 because it's not a race. We want to slowly understand what God is trying to tell us and then slowly get back into being a people who listen to his word through his word, okay? The idea is to help you with confidence and context. Second, that's how you can read the word. Second, we can listen to God through prayer. Listen through prayer. This is a foreign concept for us. How do you teach your kids to pray? How do we teach children to pray? We say, say your prayers. Yes. Don't listen to your prayers. No one listens to pray. We say prayers. We have a formula. We say them. We get it right. We keep moving. Do you pray before meals? In your home, if you pray before meals, how often do you sit in silence? No, someone says some words. You get it over quickly. The food is getting cold. Let's go. Do you sit in silence? Nobody does. Andrew Murray is a 19th century South African minister. He wrote, Lord, teach us to pray and the prayer life. I would recommend them. They are free on e-readers and online because they're so old. Here's what he said. Prayer is not monologue, but dialogue. God's voice is its most essential part. When we talk about prayer, most of us are having a speech aimed at God. That's prayer for most of us. It's a nice speech I aim at God. And what we're 
invited to do in prayer is to listen. It's a conversation between you and the creator of the universe. And if I were to put you in an actual room with you and the creator of the universe, who do you think would have words that might carry more weight in that moment? And yet, how often do we listen in prayer? We're modern people. We have lots to say. We've been taught to pray in a modern way. We have speech class. We have sermons. We have TED Talks. If we get the words right and we say, in Jesus' name, at the end, that's how it works, right? It's a formula. If I get the right angle, maybe God will do what I want. If I say it the right way, maybe God will act on my behalf. If I, if I just talk enough, eventually God will do the thing I've asked him to do, right? Right, Jesus? Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. When you pray, Jesus says, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He already knows. He's not saying, don't tell me about your life. Don't tell me about your day. Don't talk to me. He's not saying that. He already knows. I'm a parent of a 13 and 9-year-old girl. Sometimes my 13-year-old, who I love very dearly, she can talk, man. She can talk. And when she gets off of school, she's been in a mask, being told to be quiet for eight hours. She gets out of school. She gets in the car. And the days I get to pick her up, sometimes she gets in and she just goes. And then this, and then social studies. Sometimes there's no context. It's just the whole way through. And we don't live that far from school. So we get home and we'll pull in the driveway and she'll finish. So that's why I can't go to dance today. And I'll be like, well, um, dance got canceled. And I knew that five minutes ago, but you, you, you know, I already knew. We got you. Oh, well, how was your day today? I was like, we're home. You don't have to ask. Okay, good. See ya. And she's out. She can go. I don't know where she gets the ability to just talk forever. I don't know. My wife would say that there are times at home where I am, uh, well, she'll just say, stop it. <laughs> she'll say, she'll go, I think you're preaching at us. Family, not sermon. It's good. We all have the ability, if we're not careful, to talk without listening, to talk without listening, to talk without listening. And the scripture says that God knows your needs before you ask. God knows your needs before you ask. The creator of the universe, the spirit living inside you, God knows your needs before you ask. So if God knows your needs before you ask, then what would be required for you to receive from him what he has to give you related to your circumstance or your situation or your problem? It would require that we stop talking long enough to listen and hear him. That's called dialogue. It takes practice. So then we have to listen and then, and then speak and then listen again. And the goal, I would say this is your goal, pray until you can be quiet enough to hear God speak. Some people will say, how long should I pray? Pray until you can be quiet enough that you could hear God speak. And people will go, okay, well, that's a great concept, but how? Like, I don't have all day, so how do I do that? Start small. Start small. You know my position on uh, the smartphone. My position on the smartphone is that if you have a smartphone, you would be blessed in your life by taking it and throwing it in the nearest river and moving on with your life. That's my position. And yet it's a reality of life. We all have one. Um, and so I'm actually going to encourage you to use your phone in this moment, the distraction device in your pocket. I would encourage you when you're trying to learn how to hear God speak to take your phone out, open the little app that you never open that says like timer on it or something, and set a 30-second timer. 
This is practical. I mean this. Set a 30-second timer. Set the phone down. Eliminate distractions. It's just you and me, God. 30-second timer is ready. And then you say out loud, God, I want to grow in my ability to be still and listen to your voice. Let's start. I'm distracted already. Okay. Lord, I made six seconds that time. Then I started thinking about that noise I heard, or the dog was barking, or the grocery list, or whatever it is came up. I made six seconds. Reset. God, I want to grow in my ability to be still and hear your voice. Start. Why does that feel so foreign? That feels like an insane person thing to do. It's what God has invited us to do is to be still, know that he's God, know that he knows what you need, and maybe listen that he has something for you. Quiet your mind and listen. And what you will be surprised by is once you start this process, 30 seconds, just try for 30 seconds. And once you get 30 seconds, it's going to feel like you need to have a party. Have your party. Call it Valentine's Day. Listen to people. Then, 45 seconds or a minute. And what people who have been listening to God in prayer for their life will tell you, if we will listen long enough to hear them, is eventually you won't be setting a timer so as to get through those 30 seconds. You'll be setting a timer to alert you that you've been quiet for too long and you need to get back to the other things you have to do today. You'll be setting a 30-minute timer so that you don't get lost in hours of listening. You actually get back to the thing you had to do. Because being in God's presence and listening for God's voice is a holy place but we have to slow down long enough to do it. It is possible with practice to become a better listener of God. Now, how to become a better listener of people? Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. I would say listening would be applicable there, but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in listening or understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I'm going to make a bold statement on behalf of everyone you know. The people you love would love for you to listen more. The people you love would love for you to listen more. And we're going to lay this out using a little bit of high theology, so hang with me. We're going to have, we've got to talk a little bit about high theology, but to get real practical, First John tells us twice that God is love. God is love. Scripture teaches that in addition to God being love, God is three in one. The Trinity, you've heard of that word maybe, three in one. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's three, but he's not three separate and distinct. He's three separate, but they're one. They're three in one. I don't even want to talk about it because it gets, once you start getting in there, you can go off a lot of wrong ways. He's not three separate but equal. He's three but in one. Okay. This is called the Trinity. A commentator I was reading argued, and I buy this argument, that a solitary God a one-in-one, just one, just me, could not be love. So we say God is love. A solitary God can't be love because love requires an object. And love can only then exist in a relationship. So because the Christian God is in and of himself a relationship, because the Christian God, the triune God, the three-in-one God— is a community unto itself, God is absolutely love. The Son takes on flesh to come and die. He does so that he who is love might show true love to us and transform us 
through love. And the Son is doing the will of the Father and leaves the Spirit to be the helper. They're all, they're all part of this. Fred Sanders, a theologian, says this, the good news of salvation is that God opens his Trinitarian life to us. That when you find relationship with Jesus, when you are saved into right relationship with God, when your broken bridges are put back together through the cross of Christ, what you have been saved into is the perfection of relationship that was first and only available to the people of the Trinity, to the three in one. And you are now welcomed into a place where you can experience the fullness and wholeness of community and love and relationship. We are made alive in Jesus so as to return to right relationship. Made alive in Jesus to be returned to relationship with the Father that we then live in and through the Spirit. Are you still with me? So God is love in essence and on display. Genesis then tells us that man and woman were created in the image and likeness of God. So God is love and fullness of community and relationship and then humanity has been created in the image of that God. Okay. So it would seem obvious that our deepest desires or most profound yearnings would be for true love relationships. If we are made in the image of perfection in the rela- as it relates to love and relationship, wouldn't it make sense that the thing that we're all secretly after at the depth of our being is true love relationships? Not romantic, although those can apply, but true love, someone knows me and loves me anyway kind of relationships. That's to experience the fullness of community. That's the Trinitarian life. That's the thing we're getting saved into is this fullness. At the core, that's what we want. We want to be known and still accepted. We want to be known for everything we are and still loved. Jesus listened to Nicodemus. He engaged the woman at the well. He drew them in to know them and then show them that they were loved all the same. Same way he loves you and me. He knows my worst day, my darkest thoughts, and loves me. He knows your worst day and darkest thoughts and loves you. That's what's so compelling about the person of Christ is that what we are wired for is someone to know us at our core and love us through it. And that's what Jesus has done. Too much of our listening in our culture is transactional listening. It's transactional. It's listening to you but for me, which is sneaky. Guys, Valentine's Day, you do a lot of that around Valentine's Day. Best behavior. I'm doing this for you, but it's for me. I don't have to explain that. True love listens without an agenda. True love just wants to know the other and then love. So as people, our desire is to then love people and listen to people so as not to use them, but to love them, just to love them, just to affirm them, just to love them, just to love them, just, that's what we've been talking about. How do I love somebody? How do I practically love somebody? I think it starts with listening. It starts with quieting your agenda and turning off the urge to solve a problem before you hear the heart that's hurting. We've talked about this for, for the last six weeks. How do I love somebody who's off in space when it comes to worldview or, or doesn't, and thinks the Bible is abusive or oppressive? How do I love that person that starts with listening? It starts with listening and hearing the hurt of the heart. 
and listening is a skill to grow, not a task to endure. It is not step four of the how-to guide of the Jesus rule book. Listening is an act of love because it is self-sacrificial. I am putting myself aside to make you my priority right now, and it is integral to the aspect of how do we love someone else well. So, to be abundantly practical, here are five ways to become a better listener. We'll put them on the screen. We'll leave them on the screen. I'll explain. I did think about doing an acronym. I wanted to do one of those things where it would be like, here's, and then you would always remember it, but I didn't do that, so it's BABAP. <laughs> Maybe you'll remember that now. All right. How do I be my better listener? BABAP. Be explicit. First, be explicit. What does that even mean? Especially as you start out on this journey, everybody can be a better listener. Everybody can be a better listener. First thing, be explicit by setting expectations for the person you're about to listen to. Start like this, quote, I want to become a better listener and I want to hear your heart fully. Oh, what would, what would someone even do if you started a sentence like that? You would get like, you get all kinds of sideways glances. How about this? I'm trying to improve my listening skills, so don't let me do anything but ask follow-up questions. People will panic on you when you start this. And the way to continue to grow is to be faithful to actually mean it. So you can set a tone by being explicit in how you're listening to somebody. You can set a tone and you set expectation and accountability because I'll tell you how this works in my house. I just want to hear your heart, honey. And she starts talking. I say, it sounds like it's about the nail though, isn't it? And she'll be like, you're doing it. You're doing the thing again. And I'll go, nope, you're right. Okay, I'm listening now. I'm listening. Start again. Now, now I'm listening. But I will immediately go into problem solver mode. I'll immediately go into, let me give you a little sermon on that. And I need to shut up and listen. Point two, be small. This is hard in a social media world. Let me see if I can make this make sense. Imagine you are in a tiny room. Picture a tiny room. It's you and one other person, okay? There's only so much space. There's only so much oxygen. When you are in this tiny room with you and one other person, all the words you say inflate you. You get bigger, and your words begin to take up the room, and you get bigger and bigger, and they get smaller and smaller. As you listen, you deflate, and that person is allowed to get bigger. When I say be small, I want you to picture yourself and one other person in a room, and I want you to be as small as possible which means I will listen and I will become less that you might become more in this room. I will be less so you might be heard and I will not steal all the oxygen in the room with my greatest speech that I've ever given you. I'm actually just going to sit back and listen. This is how conversations and relationships work, actually. There are two people in a room, metaphorically speaking, and one is always growing and one is always shrinking and it's a dance to try to stay balanced. This is what a marriage looks like. It's a dance to try to stay balanced. And if both people are always listening to the other, guess what? It's a lot easier when both people are trying to be small for both people to be heard. The problem is when both people are shouting and trying to be heard that no one actually gets heard. This happens in our world when we debate or drone on or lecture or shout. That shuts listening down. When we debate, when we come in a conversation ready to just throw down the hammer, that creates a fight-or-flight response that's a problem. So either someone's already checked out and not listening, or they're just listening so they can come and punch you back. When we listen, we practice humility. We get small, and we invite vulnerability into safety. When you get small and you go, there's space for you here. There's room for you to unpack that. There's room for you here. Come on in. That allows somebody to bring their vulnerability and lay it down in a safe place. Third, affirm instead of answer. Affirm instead of answer. That's what the video was about. She wanted him to just affirm that she had a problem. All of her sweaters were snagged. He knew why. Strategic thinkers and problem solvers, this is for you. Strategic thinkers and problem solvers, you assume 
I am one of you. You assume that every conversation is an invitation to show us your brilliance. Stop it. Stop. I have to stop. My brain is going. I'm ready. I got a plan for that. I can, you have a strategy? You want to process? How do you want to work this out? Strategic thinkers and problem solvers are bad listeners because we consider every conversation an invitation to show you just how smart we are. Instead, affirm instead of answer means this. Here's how this sentence goes. Someone tells you something about their life and you say, I hear what you are saying. And then you mirror back to them what they told you. You're saying that the way that your mother, child, uncle, kindergarten teacher is treating you makes you feel like this. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Good. That's called mirroring. That's a big thing. What that does is it leaves space for the person you're engaging with to hear their own issue too. 99% of the people who come into my office having a problem to solve already have the answer. They just need to hear themselves ask it a couple times over and we need to turn it over, look at it from different angles and they leave and they go, this was so helpful, thank you. And I say, I think you had the answer, but thanks for coming. People need the space to hear it and more importantly, to hear the spirit. And the spirit doesn't speak in a room if you don't shut up. Next, ask before you task. We're almost done. Ask before you task. This is a, when you feel the need to contribute to something, we want, we're doers, we want to do things. Let me make a phone call to fix this for you. Or uh, if you would just do this thing, it would fix it for you. When we're fixing, ask before you task means this. Just like be explicit. It's the other side of that. Do you want help with this right now or do you just need me to listen? That's the question we ask. Before we task somebody with something or we take on the task and make it part of our life-changing, world-changing, problem-solving agenda, we go, do you need me to do anything with this or do you just need me to listen? Remarkably, when I've asked this question, about 90% of the time people say, I just need someone to listen for now. I can do that. It's not easy, but I can do that. Finally, practice. Repetition leads to mastery of any skill. You want to be a snowboarder or an archer, you want to be a knitter, you want to be a music star, whatever you want to be. You don't just wake up and do it, you practice, you get there. Listening is a skill to develop and it requires we practice. So in a world full of talking heads and weary souls, our job is to become more loving listeners. Our job is to walk up to somebody you love and go, I would like to hear how your week went and I'm not very good at listening, and so what I'm gonna ask you to do right now is just tell me about it, and I'm gonna practice listening, and I just wanna hear you. And then our job is to be quiet and listen, and we'll fail at it, and we'll do it again, and we'll fail at it, and we'll do it again. And if we practice it with God, if we love God by listening to God through his word and through prayer, and if we love others by listening to others, by just being quiet long enough to hear true hearts, we will begin to find ourselves being formed into something new and beautiful and whole. And when we say he would love first, what does that mean about how we interact with the world around us? It starts with being willing to quiet ourselves and hear the heart in front of us. And from there, God has a plan. We listen. God moves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for listening to us. Thank you for listening when we were crying out. Thank you for listening when we were lost and alone. Thank you for hearing us, for acting Lord, I pray that uh, we as a people might value listening as one of the most loving skills we can own. Lord, that we would be people who would practice it well. We would be people who would show grace simply by being quiet. 
Father, I pray that uh, as easily dismissible as something like listening is, that you would impress upon our hearts, you would convict us deeply, that it is something that we can all be better at. And God, you would give us the grace to edge into those waters, that we might love others well, and that we might know you better as we become better at listening to you in our lives. Thank you for the space. Thank you for the moments that you are already creating. God, I pray that we will lean in and listen. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.